Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Insights with Experts. Joining us here today, we are very, very fortunate to have Mr. Gord Lowe. Now, there is lots and lots to talk about with our guest today. He is currently the Executive Director of the Edible Garden City, otherwise known as the EGC currently in Singapore. And a little bit more locally to myself, he's also a PhD candidate uh, at the School of Architecture and Urban Design at RMIT. And in addition, I could probably name numerous other achievements to his name, such as being the 2018 Singaporean of the Year finalist. However, we're only so short in time, so I'm just going to get straight into it. <laughs> Gorge, just to start off with, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to speak uh, and share. Uh, so I hope uh, it will be a fruitful session. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, cool. So um, in terms of how we would like to start, what we really would want to find out just to really set the scene is an overview of your journey. I mean, you know, what, what made you want to start EGC? What, what did that road essentially look like to get to where you're standing now? Yeah, um, well, it's a, it's a question I get asked a lot um, as well. Um, but, you know, essentially really started out... Um, when I was when I was growing up, uh, you know, I went to went to school, went to uni. Uh, never knew what I kind of wanted to pursue and do. Um, did marketing in university because I guess it was the it was the easiest way out uh, out of university, right? Commerce, marketing, you know. Uh, so got through that, uh, and then came out not knowing really what jobs or or things that. Were, wanted to do uh, advertising came along uh, and just wanted to give it a shot and that that then got me uh, into the whole agency uh, space for the next uh, seven to eight years um, and um, allowed me to travel um, and move uh, countries from Singapore to London uh, so spent a couple of years in London working uh, for the agency there uh, dealing with a lot of MNC clients um, and then it came one winter, which uh, really kind of kind of gave me a little bit of uh, insights on what I wanted to do uh, in life. Uh, was something a little bit different. Uh, really got into gardening when I was in the UK because of the seasons, uh, and there was a big horticulture industry and market there. Uh, so a lot of shows on TV. Uh, you know, it, it sold this really romantic dream of the countryside. Uh, we decided to then leave our jobs, uh, me and my wife uh, uh, decided to leave our jobs uh, to try our hand at, at uh, agriculture and farming. Uh, you could go uh, today on, uh, on this thing called wolf, uh, or wolfing, right? Uh, willing workers on organic farms. Uh, you can choose uh, to go to farms all around the world and there's an exchange where you work. Uh, on the farm in exchange for food and lodging. Uh, and we saw really the UK uh, through the lens of the farms in the countryside, small-scale organic farms. Uh, that was yeah beautiful and fell in love with that. Uh, decided to then pursue, um, uh, uh, I guess, a future in sustainable agriculture. Uh, but being very practical as a Singaporean uh, or, or growing up, uh, trained and the mindset of Singaporean, uh, decided to go back to school uh, to pursue a diploma in agriculture or biodynamics agriculture. 
um, in, in a way, it's a, it's a very, uh, I guess, a very calculated move, right, uh, to get certified. Uh, but actually, what I, what I then experienced in school, uh, which was a very alternative school, uh, uh, was, was to understand a little bit more on a different spectrum of agriculture, which was less so technology-driven, uh, but very much uh, tuning ourselves to be more in touch with the environment, uh, tuning ourselves to be more better observers of nature, uh, and really syncing ourselves up with uh, what is happening around us. I think that was that was that was the biggest takeaway I came out from uh, from college or from agriculture college. Not so much like the skills that I've learned, um, but very much on on um, you know the the finer little uh, nuances that you pick up uh, from from these kind of spaces. Um, so that was that was the initial part. After completing that, um, we decide I, we we kind of decided to um, wanting to stay in in the UK to start a farm there because uh, it is a lot cheaper to get ten acres of land uh, with a house um, than compared to a five room HDB flat in Singapore. So it was quite a quite an easy. Uh, at least from an economic standpoint, uh, quite quite an easy consideration. Um, but we, but some somehow um, there was a, a naggy feeling. Um, sorry. Okay. Um, and, and so that there was a nag So I felt uh, this really naggy feeling to come back to Singapore, um, wanting to use what I've learned. In, and seen uh, and, and bring it back to Singapore. Um, in a way, uh, understanding that Singapore's agriculture scene has always been uh, something that has been left behind because we were, we were pursuing as a nation a very, a very different economic growth model uh, and we were relying then on um, our neighbors to supply us with uh, our necessity um, like water and food um, and, and other things. Um, so coming back to Singapore, it was uh, it was was great because uh, it was a, a period of re-exploring the country uh, which I grew up in. Um, and you know, growing up in Singapore when I was young, I was never uh, tuned in to all the greenery around around me, right? It was always very green. It was a garden city. Um, we, we know all of that, right? You see nice trees, perfectly landscaped um, parks and gardens. But there was never that connection. Um, I don't know if you guys feel the same way as well. Uh, there was never that connection with the greens because uh, it was just there. And, and, and again, we were, as, as growing up, we were never participatory in the greeting of Singapore. So that there, was, there was very little ownership. But that, that period when I was back uh, gave me a, a, a whole two years of really re-exploring uh, Singapore, the climate, the, the way it was planted, um, the greenery. Um, and and we start, I started to, to kind of apply a, a lot of what I've learned um, in, in school. Um, to to be able to then apply that um, into the into the local climate, the tropical climate, um, because again, the what I've seen and learned in the UK was very temperate uh, based, um, and 
and and that 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 part was uh, was was quite exciting and quite fun because a lot of uh, adaptations and you know uh, experiments. So so, so the, in my own little garden uh, on on a balcony uh, in Singapore, uh, and and always the the intention was to to find a piece of land uh, in the farming area uh, which is uh, crunchy uh, to then start a farm. Uh, and that was um, um, quite difficult, right? Um, in, in Singapore, uh, trying to break into an industry that is um, highly regulated. Um, and the, the land that, that there was no land available, you need to go to the people that have already tended for land and maybe, you know, rent from them or, or uh, it, basically the barriers of entry were quite high for, for someone starting in agriculture. Uh, wanting to, you know, take out an acre of land and, and start a market garden, uh, it was it was quite difficult. So I was quite uh, disappointed with with that. Uh, but walking, doing my walks in the city um, and and around the neighborhoods, uh, I, I see a lot of uh, uh, grass patches, you know, random grass patches here and there that were not necessarily a park uh, or not necessarily. Um, um, anything you know, it's just uh, state land. Uh, so I, I was thinking, hey, maybe you know, if I were was able to convert one of these to grow um, some produce for the restaurant, just just you know, a stone throw away, uh, perhaps that there was uh, something, there was a model there. Um, so I, I started to to look at those and uh, met a couple of chefs, uh, and I um, and I so we started to to talk about um, you know local food movement, urban agriculture, uh, and he was like, "Hey, look, I, I have this patio, and his name is Bjorn as well, Bjorn Chen from Artichokes," um, and that's how it started. And uh, and and he was like, "Hey, I can I can uh, I can give you some money to 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 build me a garden and and all of that and grow me stuff." And I was like, "Okay, you know maybe this is a good start," and it started like that. Uh, one garden after another garden, uh, it just um, got a bit crazy, you know. Uh, from now, now we have done two hundred over uh, animal gardens and urban farms in Singapore. But it was never my intention to build gardens. Uh, I just wanna, I just wanna farm. I just wanna grow uh, food for people. Uh, but it happened that way, and it seems that sometimes you what you have planned for or what, what you kind of uh, thought would be the ideal scenario or how you have written your business plan may not play out in that manner. Uh, but you have to grasp on the opportunities uh, that presents itself, right? So this is one route of going into Urban Act, uh, which, which also kind of uh, was quite unique for, for me. Um, and, and many years down the line, uh, we, we managed to, to get a foothold in the space um, and we were then approached by uh, various authorities and government um, to, to see how um, they could help us along our journey. Um, and, and from then, we, were, we managed to get our own space uh, and we were able to then build a farm. Uh, which was really challenging. Uh, so I, I was thinking, imagine if I, if I had done that at the start to, to start building a farm first, uh, I probably would have given up <laughs> already at that, at that uh, starting point. So, so it's quite interesting how the, the, the journey has, has uh, laid out. Um, and today, it, it, it's become 
uh, in, in a way, a movement, uh, so much so as a social enterprise and a movement rather than just a corporate corporation enterprise that is uh, for profit only, uh, which was always the intention when I started Edible Garden City. Um, now I didn't want it to be purely a profit-driven organization. Uh, want to ensure that we had um, a balance um, to create social good and social impact through the work that we do. Um, and, and this, I guess, was, um, was always in the DNA of Edible Garden City uh, from day one. Uh, though it is very challenging, right? Because um, the, this whole debate on social entrepreneurship um, keeps coming up on, it's very hard to draw the line. When you draw the line uh, in terms of profit making, uh, and and social impact. Sometimes you have to give a bit of social impact um, to then you know uh, survive. And and in the first three to four years, it was really challenging because we were, we were just starting up. We couldn't pay ourselves a salary, uh, and and then that was uh, trying to figure out that business model. Uh, we were not sustainable, and when you're not sustainable yourself. It's very hard to then make impact or, or do good. Uh, so we we made made it a strong um, focus to get the business um, viable, financially viable. Then we could, uh, when we are sustainable and when we can feed ourselves uh, properly or you know pay ourselves a livable wage, uh, then we could then work on those social impact uh, type programs and projects. Uh, and then that we I found was really important. Uh, because a lot of social entrepreneurs uh, start out with um, this big goal and dream of saving the world. Uh, but if you can't save yourself or you can't feed yourself, uh, then, then that is nothing. Uh, so so that, that is at least a piece of advice for, for social entrepreneurs. Really think through your business model. Ensure that it's financially viable. Uh, ensure that you do not only just um, create a social enterprise for the sake of wanting to um, create a social enterprise. You know, some, some people um, per, perhaps, or some entrepreneurs think that, okay, maybe I can just open a cafe and hire people um, um, with, with this um, kind of traits and then it's a social enterprise. Um, but essentially, that it is a social enterprise, but you, you are only scratching the surface of the social uh, inequalities and the issues. Uh, it's always important to look at the entire system that you're trying to change. Um, so for, for us, what, what we try and look at is the entire food system. So we're not only looking at agriculture in the urban spaces, uh, we are really addressing a lot more of uh, so, social issues around the food system, uh, the inequality of food systems, uh, whether it's the environmental uh, issues that come up from our food system as well. So, so always look at how you can change the system, uh, not just address, um, you know, just a minute problem within the entire system uh, and start from that. Uh, and, and that will really give you a better overview of uh, things. Um, sorry, I was blabbering on. Uh, but, um, okay, I'm just going to look through some of the questions. Um, 
I was actually about to bring up a point. You previously mentioned about the opportunities the UK offered, specifically in terms of land and seasonality versus the difficulty and resistance in, in Singapore. So my next question would be, there is a common misconception, or at least to people like me who aren't in the industry, right? That sustainability, that agriculture requires the sort of geographical space, the weather, the temperature. So then how do you, I guess, adapt these necessities to the context of Singapore with its density and with its lack of seasonality? And how do you break that misconception? Yeah. Um, so, so I guess uh, a, a lot of it came from um, just being very inquisitive, right? Of um, um, of trying something that that has not been tried before. Uh, when 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 I first got back uh, with with my training in a very temperate uh, climate, um, it is also human nature, right? That that you want to grow something that people have not been able to grow before and go. Huh, you know, I, I managed to do that. You know, it's something new and it's something, uh, um, something fresh. And you know, I, I did the impossible. That, um, but that that's always the in in the initial uh, portion. Like you know, how people try to grow strawberries in Singapore, uh, it's possible, um, or you can do it indoors uh, in 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 this high tech farm. Uh, but you have to then uh, go back to ask yourself: uh, Is this is this uh, necessary? Um, do we really need to eat strawberries all year round uh, if food supply chains are cut? Um, so, so I started on that, on that, on that path, right? Trying to squeeze zucchinis and uh, a lot of temperate crops, uh, arugula, rockets, uh, and um, you know other fancy uh, temperate type vegetables into our local climate. It was a lot of work. Uh, it was really hard. Uh, you have to take extra care of it uh, because of um, uh, because of the heat, right? In, in Singapore and the humidity, uh, it is quite challenging for some of these plants. Um, and and the produce that actually get grown and and, and is harvested uh, sometimes may not be um, as as good of a quality that comes from a area that is suited to grow a crop like that. Um, so. So then I, I started to think uh, perhaps, you know, we, we really need to explore uh, native, our native vegetation uh, and, and our heritage uh, and what is indigenous to our region. Um, because we are in the tropics, right? We are in the tropical environment. Uh, there's so much diversity um, that has not been uh, eaten or, or consumed in the last uh, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years uh, of, of this whole commercial, commercialization of our food system. Um, and so we started to, to really look into that. Uh, actually learn a lot from a lot of the community gardeners, right? whether it's the old uncle, the old auntie that's uh, growing some, uh, some, some plants, you know. Um, and and they, they have uh, actually, uh, you know, Accumulated quite a bit of knowledge and learning, learning what is edible and what's local and what has medicinal properties, uh, allowed me to then adapt those uh, and offer that as a as a product uh, to uh, the local FMB uh, scene. So we were able to kind of change a little bit of the mindset within the chefs 
locally uh, to say, oh, why are you uh, using uh, a flour that is imported from Holland for your dish uh, when there is an alternative um, locally that has similar structure, color, uh, taste and smell? Uh, and, and this could this be a replacement? Uh, and and that, that gave us a little bit of, uh, of a difference in our approach uh, when, when, we, when we deal with uh, the FMB scene in Singapore. Uh, but we really want to encourage a lot more um, local and endemic vegetables um, and, and really sort of bring that more to the consumers uh, because the palate, the local palate for eating vegetables is quite limited. Uh, a tr traditional uh, Chinese family, you have, you know, one vegetable dish, normally with a green vegetable that is in oyster sauce or whatever, uh, and, and, and that's it, you know. Uh, but a, lo a lot of these green vegetables, uh, whether they are the brassicas, like the bok choy, the chai sin, they are actually cold weather crops, you know, so they are not, they are not, um, uh, they are not really suited to be grown uh, in our region. Uh, and, and that's why they grow, grow them in Cameron Highlands where it's a lot cooler and colder uh, for these vegetables to, to thrive. Um, and um, so, so a, a lot of these um, kind of initiative we're trying to put in uh, is to change uh, potentially the taste buds and mindsets of Singaporeans to uh, to say that hey, you know, there is there is this thing called um, sayomanis, which is a sweet vegetable. Uh, it grows crazily in our in our tropical environment. Uh, it, it's it's really tasty when cooked. You know, you find them in the banmian in Malaysia only now. You know, in Singapore, it's hard to find. Uh, where you have a bowl of uh, you know banmian, and then they have these greens. Is that that's the sayomanis? Uh, it imparts a, a nice nutty flavor. Uh, to to the dish as well, uh, and, and so if, if people start to demand a lot more for these kind of uh, things, uh, perhaps the the farming methodologies would change also in Malaysia uh, to then provide these uh, vegetables um, to 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 meet the demand. Um, currently, they are growing a lot of brassicas, which is bok choy chai sim, which they then have to net. Uh, and build greenhouses over Cameron Highlands, the hills. Uh, what this causes is their massive landslides, environmental degradation within uh, the ecosystem of Malaysia. Um, and the, 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 the vegetables, the cheap vegetables get sent to Singapore uh, and we are consuming that uh, at, a, at a very cost-effective price. Uh, but there is environmental cost that we are not paying for, uh, which I feel... Um, perhaps as consumers in Singapore, we start we we need to start to look at that and start to address that because uh, essentially we are uh, causing uh, that problem through our demand. Um, I think I went a bit off <laughs> offshoot with your with the question that you posed, but uh, hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Um, I actually just wanted to talk about that first answer that you gave as well, and you really touched a bit on the social aspect. On, um, you know, when you start a social enterprise, the challenges that come with it and everything like that. And I think what we, we have now is a generation of students who want to make social change. We've seen in our school, we've seen in our unis, students want to make changes. They want to do something about 
climate change. They want to do something about all these things which are happening now. However, while we're so passionate about it, we've seen actually such low rates of students that go on to pursue social launch, uh, entrepreneurs. They Not many go on to pursue uh, environmental courses in uni and all these things. And I think the reason why may be something that you touched on as well. It's not a very lucrative field. It's not a field, I mean, as you said, there's, this, there's a very big line in terms of the extent to which it is, it's, it's going to be a profit and a non-profit. And so I think there's this big worry that disincentivizes students. Students, I wanted to ask then to you, what, what should incentivize a student to go into social entrepreneurship or perhaps work in a non-profit that actually makes social change? And do you agree with the fact that it's not a, a very lucrative path? I mean, is that just a misconception that you could maybe break as well? Um, well, we, 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 saw, we saw a big um, growth in uh, the social sector or social enterprise sector in Singapore uh, in the last set, seven to eight years, right? I remember when we first started as social enterprise, uh, eight years ago, um, it was it was still not known, right? Uh, uh, people thought social enterprises were were um, charities, uh, and so um, the the whole mindset has has shifted now and changed uh, a lot. Um, and and I think the the motivation um, for for a lot of people to join a social enterprise. Uh, is that they want to apply their skills uh, and their time uh, to something that they they can, you know, uh, create change uh, within within uh, society. Um, we see a lot of mid career switches, um, especially those high high flying uh, mid career switches uh, from banks, institutions. Uh, and, and big companies uh, switching to to them run social enterprises, uh, or coming in to help consult uh, for social enterprises, just because they want uh, to feel like there is purpose. Because it's it's a uh, it's it's kind of waking up every day and feeling that hey, I am going to um, to work and I'm going to make change. Uh, I'm not only helping an organization make more money. Uh, but it's it's kind of purpose driven, but while um, uh, some people then feel uh, also very excited by the fact that hey, I can make change and then can I can make a living from it uh, as well, uh, and and that's all I need, right? Uh, I I don't need that Ferrari, I don't need that big car or or, or things. Uh, I I know what is enough for me. I, I I'm a conscious, uh, responsible consumer, uh, and. And uh, so they, they choose this route uh, to, to work in a social enterprise or, or start a business uh, as a social entrepreneur. Um, so we, we have seen a lot of uh, young uh, graduates uh, out from uni uh, join us. Uh, a lot of them have been with us for you know, three to four years, uh, five years. Our initial founding team were a lot of big career switches uh, from banks, uh, um, and marketing agencies, uh, IT, uh, they they joined Animal Garden City at that point because we all we all had the same uh, ideas uh, in terms of we don't want work to be structured. We we we're doing it out for uh, for passion. Uh, so we 
we were running the organization quite loosely, uh, just uh, working together on a few projects. And people enjoyed that uh, as mid-career mid, mid switches. Uh, of course, as now when we have 40, uh, we have about 40 employees, uh, we, we can't work on that kind of uh, structure because uh, it gets a little bit too messy, we can't manage. So we, we, we then need to put in processes and, and things like that. Um, so it's a bit more, it's run a bit more like a, like a, like a company. Um, but, but people still enjoy the fact that, uh, or that, that there is a greater purpose that we are trying to fulfill, uh, with, with, uh, with the work that we do. So it's just not purely about, um, money driven pursuits. Um, but then that there will always be two school of thoughts, uh, within, within the organization, uh, there will always be the purists which are uh, individuals that uh, feel very strongly about environmental changes and climate change and, and wanting to ensure that the practices that they bring in or they are, that they are performing or they're doing uh, is pure. Uh, and uh, they are less likely to be driven by monetary returns and gains, but they still need something to live on. Uh, so, so a lot of them start like that. Uh, I, I've uh, also started like that. When I first started, I was very critical about, uh, about systems, uh, about not wanting to work with um, corporations and uh, wanting to shun um, you know, my past life and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but I realized that it is important uh, because we are still within that very structured neo neoliberal system, which is the uh, the whole economic system that we are in currently, uh, and we need to work within that to make change. Uh, we cannot be uh, a group of hippies uh, setting up a, co a community somewhere and then you know trying to detach itself from the system. Uh, as urban farmers, especially in in a country like Singapore, we need to work within that. Um, so a lot of times uh, in the early days, uh, I get asked a lot. Uh, by government officials and, and people uh, in, in, in authority, uh, well, urban farming can make money or not. That, that's what I keep hearing, right? So, so I was like, uh, my, my reply always like, uh, yeah, we can survive, but, but this is what we're trying to do. This is, you know, there's a bigger picture to it. It's not just about making money. Uh, and it's about self-sustainability, food sustainability. Uh, and slowly, I think uh, it, it got the message got out uh, a lot better uh, that that we can survive uh, and we can make a we can make a business out of it uh, but really the purpose is not just about making money uh, and, and that there's a bigger uh, agenda so so I guess that that comes out quite well and and so um, a lot of the young graduates coming out from university would uh, would uh, would be would be excited by that and then they, they can't be joined. Uh, and and they they help uh, you know help us uh, through our journey. Uh, of course, uh, what's sometimes portrayed in the media and position uh, can look a lot different from the actual reality of uh, what's happening in the organization itself. Uh, uh, most of the time, it's just chaos. <laughs> but but you know uh, that that's how how things uh, move forward. Uh, and and today we are a lot more. Uh, we're really grateful for all that have come through uh, to help us on that journey. Many people view farming with the misconception that it's solely for food production. 
what are the other benefits of food production? Uh, for example, therapeutics, because I'm aware that part of what Edible Garden City does includes therapeutic horticulture. Yeah. Um, again, it's, um, it's, it's part of the evolution of, um, of uh, con I think what, what we do um, as, as, a, as a movement, as a social enterprise, um, is, is really trying to re-innovate or, or innovate the urban agriculture business model. Uh, early years, we started to build gardens, we did various pop-ups uh, and, and things like that to drive interest around the space. Uh, and when we, we started our own farm, we, um, we brought in concepts like uh, closed-loop farming um, and, you know, a, a socially-driven urban farm uh, with environmental impact, with community impact. And that, that, I think when these things get picked up by the general industry and by the government, we feel that, hey, you know, we've, we've done our, our part, our role uh, to, to create awareness and impact in that space, uh, then what is the next thing? What do we then continue to innovate again? Uh, and what we found actually is that um, the, the challenge with urban food production is that um, it, it's, it's very tough to, to, to make it a viable um, business model uh, just by growing produce alone. So if let's say, okay, I'm growing bok choy and chai sim uh, on a rooftop in Tampanese, for example, uh, I, I can grow a lot, uh, but I'm also at the mercy of imports, right? So, so vegetables coming from China uh, are uh, 50 cents a bunch, right? Uh, in, in, in Singapore's context, uh, the labor input, uh, rental, utilities, all of that, uh, you're never going to get a 50 cents a bunch kind of uh, 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 price point, right? So, uh, and, and Singaporeans at this point are not uh, yet ready to support uh, a more expensive local produce uh, at this point, uh, uh, it's, it's starting to happen. Uh, so it's going to take year, uh, a few more years of uh, advocating and, and, and marketing for, for Singaporeans to really take that step up to do so. so. So essentially, if we were to base urban farms just to produce vegetables and make that a viable business model, uh, we feel that there's still a lot of challenges within that. So we wanted to look beyond that, what other uh, intangible values to urban farm uh, provide uh, to society and to the community and to urban cities like, like Singapore. Uh, and one of that uh, was um, perhaps it could serve as a place to provide healthcare services or mental wellness services to the community. And this, this is based on uh, studies already done by uh, National Parks Board and NUS on the therapeutic benefits of gardening and horticulture. Again, the concept is not new. You have uh, care farms uh, located all around Europe. Uh, in Australia as well, there are, there are many care farms uh, where farms uh, also play the role of providing care to uh, you know, patients uh, with uh, mental uh, challenges. Uh, they come to the farm, they do, they do some work, uh, they go back uh, a lot more well-adjusted. Uh, and scientifically, uh, working or being in a green environment, working with plants and being uh, in that space uh, has proven to reduce uh, stress markers within the body. And, and that, that itself is, is a strong indication that uh, if we are able to perhaps bring in 
uh, you know, the elderly population, the socially isolated elderly population uh, into our farm, uh, provide them with some paid volunteering uh, uh, sessions um, or micro jobs as you call them. Uh, you know, whether they are doing uh, two hours of uh, seed sowing, of uh, weeding, transplanting, uh, and um, and they they may may be able to form that a community within themselves uh, to um, bring them to bring them out from that social isolation, which is always the main uh, precursor cause to other more serious illnesses down the line, uh, and perhaps this as a productive longevity uh, when they are produce when they are productive, they can actually uh, they they tend they might tend to forsake lesser. Uh, and they will prov provide less stress to the medical infrastructure, the limited me medical infrastructure that, that we have, um, then, then perhaps urban farms uh, will play a very, very different role for the future of the health uh, of um, at least our physical health uh, because of we will have fresher and better quality vegetables grown closer to where people consume them. Uh, but also on the mental well-being uh, portion and therapeutic portion of the community. So, but this is a long, long uh, five, ten years, another five, ten years of uh, uh, kind of figuring out how this will fit. Uh, but we feel that we have all the, all the elements and the uh, mechanisms in place uh, with the correct partners and collaborators to be able to push this forward. Uh, but it's not going to be... A, I know for a fact it's not going to be straightforward, uh, and uh, but that that's always the uh, the joy of entrepreneurship, right? Uh, yep. So, so that that is where we are we are headed towards, uh, and and uh, hopefully we'll be able to then again change the urban agriculture systems uh, to ensure that all urban farms in future in Singapore uh, will practice environmental uh, practices on closed loop. Uh, they will hire marginalized community, uh, socially isolated elderly, and then be, be able to provide these uh, care farming programs and horticulture therapy programs for the community to participate in. Uh, and, and, and that itself um, will be a very holistic offering uh, and will change really the landscape of Singapore and how uh, how urban farms will operate in the future and perhaps in the region as well you know in Malaysia in Asia uh, we're starting to see a pickup of urban agriculture as well yeah and I just wanted to quickly talk again about that point where we talked about students how they can get involved how they can go into social entrepreneurship as well and all that stuff and I mean if we if we currently just look at our cohort of students who left high school last last year, um, we look around. Majority, you're you're looking at students that went into economics, law, biomedical sciences, all these kinds of things. And very rarely do we find people actually going into agriculture and so on. So I wonder, but however, I told you in the start that students want to get involved in this in some kind of way. So. This then leads me to ask, how can students leverage their current university course, their specialization, whether that's economics, law, or XYZ, how can they leverage that, then go into agriculture, then go and practice sustainable practices in ways that they can? 
yeah. Um, so there, there's always a few ways um, to go about it, right? Um, we have seen um, students uh, driving um, certain projects within campus, uh, for example, building a edible gardens or community farm within campus, uh, um, forming an interest group around uh, that. I've seen that happen in NUS quite a bit. Uh, and we, we have um, I've gone down, uh, have a look at what they were doing, give them uh, a few recommendations and ideas. Uh, but it was largely driven by them. And then they, they host uh, and arrange and, and moderate a few um, panel sessions, bringing people uh, to talk about sustainability. So within, within the uh, school fraternity, you could, you could drive a lot of uh, initiatives like that. Um, and, and for, for, for one, uh, the universities uh, sit on massive amount of land and grounds, right? Uh, so converting uh, a grass patch or, or, or somewhere a little bit behind into a, a community farm uh, would not be, uh, space is not an issue, uh, but I guess it's the commitment and a, and a good plan to put into uh, and speaking to, to your universities uh, um, uh, to do that. But outside of that, there, there is uh, many opportunities for volunteering, um, for uh, on-job placements uh, with other social enterprises uh, for urban farming. So whether it's Singapore, it's Australia, it's Malaysia, there are a lot of these groups uh, out there. Um, um, we, we are one of them, uh, but there are many others. Uh, like Foodscape Collective in Singapore, that is uh, ground up initiative. Uh, so, so these are all places where they can uh, go and you know lend lend a hand or two. You know, sometimes it's just about uh, some back breaking uh, muscles that we need uh, to carry some soil or move things around. Uh, or sometimes it just can be uh, keeping the space uh, speak and span. Uh, things that we 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 often neglect um, uh, because we had all these other work to do. Uh, and just lending a helping hand. I think it um, doesn't matter where your skill sets are, are in. Uh, it's just coming in, knowing uh, the, the organization, participating, and, um, and slowly, I think you'll be able to identify areas that you can help out a lot more. So, so for example, uh, we, we have a lot of uh, fresh grads that joined us uh, full-time. Uh, all of them started out from volunteering, right? They started out as volunteers uh, and, you know, they, they put in maybe four to five months of volunteering uh, and before they, they joined us officially. Um, and and that, that was a good period of time to allow them to really get to know uh, everyone and get to know the, the, what we do and the business and to see if it's the right fit for them as well. Uh, and a lot of like some of them they are trained in life sciences so they so they work in the lab quite a bit and and in in outdoor uh, in agriculture that is kind of uh, sometimes we need to do testings like a b tests and and, and whatnot uh, and they were then able to apply some of the their skills uh, to um, to to push out some of these projects um, and sometimes we do work with universities uh, on trialing some products and things like that. So they were able to drive some of these uh, projects and it was really uh, fun for them because uh, uh, they were like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working with my 
my professor that I used to work with. Uh, now I'm working with him on, on some of the same level field. So, so it was, uh, uh, it, it takes time though. So, so that, that first six, six months, uh, one year of get, getting the volunteering in and, and, and being part of the community is, is really important. Uh, so, so don't, don't think too much about it uh, um, because when you're there, when you're in the elements and when you're in that ecosystem, slowly you'll be able to, uh, to sort of um, use your skills of, of, of uh, what you have learned in university. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've forgotten all I've learned in university already. So, uh, but what I've learned, I, I find in university is, is a certain way of thinking um, through problems. Um, so in business and marketing, you know, there are certain set processes that you have to go through. Uh, and then that's, that's how I think. Right, uh, as a business student, uh, as compared to that, how an engineering student thinks. So it's a it's a it's a thought process that has not left me, and it's all is ingrained in me. Uh, so so that's that's a, that's that's the skill I took away from university. I, I can't remember, you know, the formulas or you know the uh, the specific strategies that I've learned, you know, uh, but it's a way of thinking, uh, and you can apply that uh, into into your work. Going to the last question that we ask every guest, uh, the one, the, the question that I jumped the gun on earlier, if you had one piece of advice that you could impart onto the youth listening today, what would that one piece of advice be? The one piece of advice, I, I haven't thought about this. I thought, uh, I kind of gave a little bit of that uh, before, but uh, let me have a think. <laughs> Just give me a second. Our guests often say it is the hardest question. It's it is it is hard because uh, I mean the, the advice that I can give now may not may not apply you know uh, uh, two years down the line you know because of COVID or whatever. Uh, but but what what I what I really find really helpful uh, for for me is is really you know search for what you are passionate uh, in doing and really live that passion uh, because that has given me the drive and the push um, in the early days uh, and, and that was really encouraging for me to continue. I mean, you, you face a lot of challenges and roadblocks along the way, but if you're truly passionate about something, uh, you, you truly believe in the cause, um, then um, you know that that can feed you for many years. Uh, then that reality sets in, right? Then you have to think about uh, uh, moving on with life, and and, and you know, uh, but but having that passion and not letting it simmer uh, in the first few years is very very important to keep your dreams alive uh, and to, to keep driven. Uh, but always go out there uh, with an open mind. Uh, the the more you you see, the more you travel, the more people you meet, uh, it opens up your perspective and it inspires you and when you're inspired you're driven to to kind of do more so always keep an open mind to be inspired uh, and and it's uh i i need to be inspired uh re-inspired all the time and and it's uh it's important that you go out and meet like-minded people because when you sit down and you you see what other people are doing uh, that, that inspiration comes and uh, it will drive you uh forward uh, with new ideas, with new way of looking at things, uh, so so do that. Yeah, continue to 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 be inspired uh, and, and keep the fire going. 
Thanks for listening in. This podcast has been brought to you by Desera, a platform designed to bridge the gap between the youth and professionals. You can read more about us at desera.org. And you can also check out the section titled Insights with Experts, where you can submit your questions that you might have for future experts and industries that you would like to learn more about. And you can also refer in any experts that you might know yourself.